0: Good morning friends. Blake McGee here. I am by myself. Ryan is apparently still asleep this morning. Uh this is the weekly anchor by Voyage Capital Partners, and we're gonna talk about the economy and we'll see if Ryan joins us at some point or not. But that's all right if he doesn't. I'll try to hold down the uh fort by myself. Uh, Real quick, I'll get my disclaimers out of the way. Nothing I say is tax, legal, or investment advice. Consult your professionals. When you make your decisions, don't listen to me. And that's that. So hope everybody had a great week. Today is August 28th. Happy birthday to my beautiful wife, Kaylee. Can't wait to hang out with her after I get done talking to you fine people. So we'll see uh where we want to go with this today. I only had a couple of things in my notes, but yesterday I listened to Jerome Powell's speech at uh Jackson Hole uh where he talked about basically uh was in, you know they were announcing a big policy shift in the way that they view inflation at the Federal Reserve. It was really kind of a nothing speech, kind of just confirming what has already been established as the new reality. But the the gist of it is that uh, they're going to seek an average inflation rate of 2% um, per year. So they've had shifting narratives in the way that they uh, perceive inflation. At, you know, at one point it was uh, price stability, and that's still kind of in there, you know, what they say that their, uh, you know, goal is to seek price stability. But to them, I guess price stability is you got to pay more for your groceries every year. Uh, but um Then it was, you know, we want to keep inflation, you know, at a ceiling of 2%, and then it became now the average, we want to average 2%. And this is important because by saying that they want an average uh, annual inflation rate of 2%, that means that they're giving themselves the green light to run inflation hot above that for extended periods of time because they can say, Oh, we'll we'll run it below two percent to make up for the high years, which if you pay any attention to central banks, it, it just keeps shifting out eventually. You know, they'll run it hot above two percent and then they'll say, Oh, you know, um we actually won't seek an average of three percent. You know, they'll they'll keep moving the goalposts for themselves. Um which is exactly what, what they're doing with this decision. Um, there's so much that we can get into with this. Let's see what direction that I, that I want to go here. Um, so, first of all, their measurements for inflation are garbage. Um, any Any research into the numbers at all and anyone who lives life <laughs> – uh, as an average person uh, sees that their their the prices are going up on them more than two percent a year. Um, they the way that they select these basket of goods that they measure CPI and then the number the Fed actually has their own model that they use internally. Um, but they they use um, substitutions to keep the the reading of inflation lower, uh, they use what's called, uh, uh, deflators. They're like mathematical cal arbitrary calculations that, uh, help calculate and they justify and re, you know, give reasons for, it. but the re- reality is it's not as simple as just measuring whether the prices of the same goods went higher the next year. They have ways of making this number seem lower and you know, you can try to like re figure out in your head, why do they want to do that? Um, you know, I don't think they want inflation to read low, uh, or to read high as long as it reads low. They have an excuse to continue these, uh, money printing activities saying that, Oh, we're not high enough. We got to keep pushing higher. Um, you know, we're having a hard time hitting 2%. Um, and there's some, uh, you know, there's, there's other sides to, to the argument too, but that you know, that's kind of my my read on it is that, you know, they constantly say that we need higher inflation, we need higher inflation, but they can't ever achieve these goals. Um, but it's tough to reach a number when your model is broken that measures that number. So it's a weird thing. Um, but nonetheless, the important part is sorry, I'm just trying to look at some of my notes here the important part is that they're giving themselves green light for more inflation. So the inflation that we've been experiencing as a society, uh, whether you believe their numbers or not, which, you know, again, they're, they're complete garbage, but um, what we've been experiencing is not high enough according to them. Uh, They, you know, they believe that originally or not originally, but recently uh deflation has been the boogeyman that we have to to be scared of which is nonsense uh falling prices would would happen in a healthy economy but this is something that these uh you know these central bankers and uh, you know whatever uh higher ed type economists that don't live in the real world at all uh, they think that deflation is the boogeyman that we should all be scared of because if people see that prices are falling, they'll stop spending their money and, you know, that'll push us into, you know, some terrible spiral, a deflationary spiral, which is, is nonsense. Uh, you know, there's, there are areas of life where inflation or where Deflation does occur in prices. Prices fall. People still buy goods. Technology is a a good one. Uh, prices have fallen dramatically in technology, uh, and people still buy the technology that they need, uh, in their lives. So, um, in a healthy economy, deflation would be likely be a symptom of a healthy economy because of innovation. And, um, higher efficiency production uh, as we become more efficient and as we have new innovation that would drive the cost of producing goods down and the prices down over time uh and people's dollars would go further with those goods instead though uh, they they have painted for decades that deflation is scary we should be scared of it we have to keep inflation um you know keep inflation in the system to a certain degree And, um, again, that's really nothing more than a green light for them. If they have everyone scared of deflation, they have the excuse to, Hey, we got to keep printing money. Um, you know, keep pushing new money into the system. Otherwise we're gonna have deflation and everything's gonna, you know, we're gonna have this horrible, uh, you know, spiral downward. So that was the narrative before. Now the narrative is not, and it's not even deflation is bad. We should fear low inflation we need higher inflation. If we have inflation expectations that are too low, you know, that's a bad thing. And you know, we should be scared of that. Um, and so we got to print, we got to continue these activities. We got to keep their, they're now saying they're going to keep interest rates at 0% for five years. Um, which is not surprising. It's just, uh, you know, they're coming out and, and saying it. Um, and the reality is, the reason they need the green light for inflation is uh, because our whole economy is built on debt and cheap money, so we cannot afford a rise in interest rates, uh, you know, without defaulting on debts, uh, you know, private and uh, government debts. If we allowed interest rates to normalize in any way, and we saw that a couple of years ago when uh, they tried to come out and start shrinking their balance sheet and raising rates barely uh, you know very modestly and uh, the markets hated it and they quickly went back to uh, you know zero percent rates um, or drawing them down not zero percent right away but they, they they started cutting rates again and then coronavirus came and they cut them to zero and pushed all this uh, you know money printing if you if you will uh, into uh, the markets, into the economy, and that's where we're at today. So they need inflation to handle debts in the system because our economy is built on that. Uh, and it's true that if we allowed things to normalize, then there would be a tremendous amount of of pain. Uh, you know, for for us to default on our our debt as a country, uh, but that's the that would be the honest solution forward. Um, instead they're going to, it's effectively a default. And if you follow me, I think I posted on Facebook earlier this week, but if you try to print money to inflate away debts, that's still a default. You're, you're destroying the value of the, of the currency that your citizens hold and you, you're using, you're stealing the purchasing power from them to handle, uh, you know, paying back debts, And, um, and typically the debts continue to, you know, to go up, you know, for a while when, when you're going through that process anyway, too. So, uh, but it's, it's still effectively a default if you print away the debt. So the destruction of the economy is still there and it's just on a bigger scale because you keep kicking the can further. So it's not like we're avoiding any pain uh, by choosing this path. Um, it's just a path, uh, and they don't say that, you know, they'll never come out and say we're defaulting on our debt via inflation, um, you know, via stealing, purchasing power from citizens, but that's the effect of what these policies are doing. Um, and that's why that they have to do them. They, you know, they don't really have much of a choice, um, you know, without being honest and they're not going to be honest and say, we got to default and have massive corrections in in the marketplace. So we're going to default through the money printer. Um, And this will take time to play out. I imagine. Um, There's a lot of mechanics at play with the federal reserve uh, that they're not, you know, there are arguments to both sides of of this, but it it seems um, that they're, when you look at the, the reserves that they're creating for the commercial banking system when they're buying all this debt um, that the Treasury's issuing, those reserves are staying with the banks right now, so we're not seeing that money make it to the real economy um, in substantial terms. I mean, there are ways that I think it leaks into the economy, and that's why we see you know high inflation uh, you know, each year. Um, not according to their measurements, but according to reality. Uh, But we're not seeing hyperinflation. But uh, I think they'll have to, at some point, make adjustments to the way the setup is with uh, the banking sector uh, to create the inflation that they're going to need to handle the debt. So I'm not sure how long that path looks. I don't think anybody is really sure. Uh, I know nobody's really sure. I mean, you're trying to predict the future, but I suspect it'll take some time. Um, you know, to to get where we're going with all this, but the point is, they are they they're saying that we're continuing down this path by this policy decision that they're making to willingly run inflation hot, according to their numbers. So that's uh, that was the big news this week that I paid attention to, um, and. This all started obviously with the Fed trying to rescue the economy you know during uh, the you know the pandemic when it hit and now trying to create fabricate some type of recovery uh, that you know is is clearly not there and I thought I'd talk about whether or not the Federal reserve really can the Fed actually save the economy? Like, is that possible? And the answer is no, they can't. They can uh, stimulate the economy like, um, you know, this is stealing from Peter Schiff, uh, so credit there, but when you put cheap money into the economy, it's like a drug. You know, it's it creates a high feeling. It creates a wealth effect, but it's not real. It, it props up asset prices, but it doesn't create an economy. A healthy economy is built on productive activities. So producing goods and services um, and innovation and entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, new uh, new inventions and new creations. That is what drives a healthy economy. When you just put cheap money into a system, that doesn't create any new production, which is the foundation of, of the economy. All it does is prop up um, you know, different asset prices, depending on where that inflation shows itself. And the way that our monetary system is set up, it has tend, tended to reveal itself mostly in asset prices. So median home prices hit an all-time high recently. That's an asset that benefits greatly from the uh, way our system is set up. Stock markets, you know, um, at basically all-time highs. I mean, um, so all that is occurring because we're putting this drug of cheap money into our markets, and that, again, is not – that is not real economic growth which is why after 2008 2009 um you know president trump I, he he was actually smart regardless of your viewpoint on him he was smart in the way that he ran on he talked about this recovery isn't real the average person is being left out of this recovery and he was 100% right on that unfortunately he changed his tune when he got in office and began praising the same economy that he was rightly criticizing before. But that occurred because it was the financial system that received the recovery, the recovery, quote unquote, it was really just, again, just uh, a drug high from cheap money uh, being pushed into the system. And that's all the Fed has the power to do. They don't have any power to create jobs, which they talked about, you know, at the, Jackson hole thing. They believe that they can, you know, push the economy towards full employment. That's an absolutely insane proposition that they have the ability to do that. Um, the only thing they have the ability to do is to hijack interest rates and create bank reserves, print bank reserves for the commercial banking sector. There's really nothing else in their toolkit. Um, you know, they can monetize directly, you know, monetize debt. Um, but that does nothing to build any production into the economy. Maybe you could argue that by bringing interest rates low, they encourage lending, which might, someone might take out a loan and hire someone to create a job with that loan. But there's no, tool, there's no real tool that they have to create any production. And whenever you do what they've done with the interest rates uh, for decades now where they've hijacked them, Um, And we've got these artificially low interest rates. All that does is encourage bad investment, um, which I've talked about uh, in other, you know, weeks that um, other episodes that uh, I won't get into a bunch here. But um, one example that I always bring up is the stock buybacks that everybody gets mad about. Now, stock buybacks in and of themselves are not bad or evil. They're a tool that might be used in certain situations for companies. But when you create artificially low interest rates that companies are allow, are able to borrow at insanely cheap prices, um, Amazon just recently got the lowest uh, issued bonds for the lowest yield of all time. And I don't believe they've started doing any share buybacks yet, but my point is they, have, they, they were able to borrow at, at like half a percent on this um on some of these bonds that they issued, that means that they don't uh, again they're not doing this, but this is just an example. They could take that money and immediately buy back their stock shares and drive their price up in stock and they can easily beat a half a percent return if rates were normalized, it would force more productive borrowing um Companies you know would have to issue bonds at much higher yields and they'd have to make sure that that uh, that, that was going to be a productive uh, productive use loan that's effectively what a bond is you're borrowing money so you let's say just for example bonds were at you know a seven percent yield a company issues that they got to make sure they can you know over the long haul get better than 7% use out of that money. So that would drive more productive lending uh, towards things like capital equipment or hiring new, new workers that are going to drive revenue to pay back uh, you know, those bonds or loans. So we've distorted every piece of the economy with these artificially low rates, you know, which is the price of, you know, of, getting new money. That's what interest rates are. They're just a price. So we have price fixing in the most important price in the economy, which is the price of borrowing money. Um, And that distorts everything and creates bad investment decisions all through the system. Um, So that's really all the Fed can do is they can, you know, expand their balance sheet, try to manipulate interest rates and um, both of those activities distort prices all through the the markets and the economy and create bad investment um, and prop up companies that are uh, inefficiently run, uh, which means that efficient uh, competitors don't get to gain market share, which would be better for consumers, for employees, um, and for investors as a whole over the long term. Obviously, they're are people that benefit greatly by propping up, uh, you know, um, bad companies that uh, you know run inefficiently? There are existing investors and management and things like that that are obviously being bailed out by these types of policies. But it's just not; it doesn't create any type of actual health or new production. So, all that to say, no, the Fed can't save the economy uh, with these policies. Um, it can put a huge long-term drain on the economy. Uh, you know, by destroying uh, productive resources and maintaining, uh, you know, the status quo um, of inefficient resource use. So that's that. The other thing I thought I would get into, and then you'll probably wrap it up with this, keep it short since Ryan's not here today, is back to inflation. All that to be said. So they're measuring... um they're measuring inflation based on, you know, these models of prices and, uh, that there's kind of a, a, a debate on financial Twitter this week that, you know, I was reading into and basically the argument of how do you define inflation? Um, so, uh, QTR Research, uh, which is a podcast that I listen to, uh, he put a poll up. How do you think about inflation, rising prices, or expansion of money supply? And eight thousand people voted. Sixty percent, almost fifty-nine point six percent of people defined inflation as rising prices. Forty percent defined it as expansion of the money supply, meaning and inflation of the amount of currency money supply in the system. So this is, um, if you look at, let's see. All right. So they're both right in a way, but I think that, the 40%, which is where I fall, I define inflation as money supply. I think it's useful to just separate the terms and say money supply, inflation, price, inflation, because that helps in the conversation. Um, Because money supply inflation often leads to price inflation. But the problem I have with defining inflation as price inflation is Prices could still fall. You could have a fall in in prices, but an expansion of the money supply, and there is still destruction um, happening in the economy with that scenario. So I don't like just calling inflation price inflation because you can still, if prices are falling because of um, new efficiencies in the market um, or uh, new innovations in the market that could actually drive prices down while money supply is expanding at the same time. And there's still, um, there's still a robbery happening of the purchasing power there. Whenever there's new money supply created there, there is a transfer of wealth happening. It's a tax. Warren Buffett called it that it's an, it's an, it's a hidden tax. He's not the only one that has said that, but, that inflation is a tax that one in a million people actually understand. And what it's doing is it's taking the purchasing power from the existing savers and people who are holding the currency and it's transferring that purchasing power to the first people that get to touch that new money. Um, and that can still happen regardless of the direction that prices move in the economy. So, for example, let's say, I actually brought this up. Let's see if I can find one. I'll just read it. Um, okay, so someone actually asked, uh, let's see. I don't know where the question was, but here's what I said. Uh, inflation of money supply can lead to price inflation, but the counterfactual is that there may have actually been price deflation had there not been an expansion of money supply. Because, again, earlier I said deflation of prices is actually often the side effect of a healthy economy. So inflation is money supply expansion even if prices remain level. Meaning we can have uh, inflation is still occurring and destroying wealth in the economy or transferring wealth in the economy may be the best way to say it, stealing, taxing quietly without anyone seeing it, because they think their prices are, are staying the same, so there's no inflation. But if there's an expansion of money supply, prices may have gone down otherwise. But the new money actually did create price inflation because prices should have been here, but it inflated them back to where they were and they remained level. So there's no... Uh, read of inflation, which is why going back to where I started, I think that the fed doesn't have an incentive. They're saying they want to hit 2% inflation. Um, I don't think there's a huge incentive for, for them to actually measure it much higher than that. I think if it started to get higher than that, we would actually see their models shift a little bit again um, as they've done, uh, you know, in the the way that they've changed CPI and things like that. Uh, again, the Fed uses a different model, but the, the gist is the same. I don't think they'll run it hot. Uh, or they will run it hot, but I think they'll do their best to not measure it as running hot so that they can continue the uh, the expansion of the money supply. Again, because that's the government needs that to handle the debt, um, and existing uh, asset holders need it to prop up their prices. So... Um let's see. All right, I think that was kind of it there. That's just oh, the last thing I would show is so there actually has been a shift in the the literal dictionary definition of inflation. And I think this was, you know, pretty I think this was not not. Um, accidental, you know, that, that they began teaching that inflation was rising prices instead of money supply. But let's see if I can share my screen here. Okay. Webster's 1983 definition of inflation. An increase in the amount of currency in circulation resulting in a relatively sharp and sudden fall in its value and a rise in prices. There's actually an older definition that I saw, but I couldn't find it to show that doesn't even bring the word price up. And I think it may have been from the 70s, but it doesn't even say the word price. It just talks about the expansion of money supply. Then you can see even by 1983, they start incorporating prices. Um, It may be caused by an increase in the volume of paper money issued or gold mined or relative increase in expenditures as when the supply of goods fails to meet demand. So even 1983 does incorporate prices, uh, but like I said, I couldn't find um, where I saw. Uh, but if you, if you hunt for it, you can find there's there's an old, even older definition that just says, uh, discusses the expansion of the money supply. Webster's 2000, a persistent increase in the level of consumer prices or persistent decline in the purchasing power of money caused by an increase in available currency and credit beyond the proportion of available goods and services. so there's been slowly over time this sh- shift in what inflation is defined as what we teach it as in you know in, in schools in, in, uh, classes. Um, and classes I don't think that's unintentional it very much benefits the narrative that we should be, scared of falling prices. Um, You know, we need to sustain predictable higher price inflation over time, Uh, but it gets the attention off of the expansion of money supply and through them being able to use these models and shifty mathematics to show that price inflation is lower than it really is. It, it, It gets the focus on price inflation, but you know you look at the 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 c p i numbers and they're clearly um you know it's it's open for anyone that researches it but no one researches it, they just look, oh, they said inflation's only at you know one percent uh when life sure feels more expensive for most people um uh, so anyway those are uh those are my thoughts on that um Let's see if there's anything else. I think that's pretty much it. So, those are my thoughts on inflation. Money supply expansion can lead to price inflation, but it doesn't have to to still be destructive there's still a a wealth transfer attacks that's happening Um, anytime there's new money put into the system Um, that being said there's a ton of new money being created right now money is a weird word that i'll i'll use and maybe i'll get into this in detail on another um, episode but um so ryan just messaged me but we're done here. Uh, <laughs> Where's I going with that? Shoot, lost my train of thought. What the heck? Ryan distracted me. Whatever. Inflation is expansion of money supply. It can lead to price inflation, but it doesn't have to. The, the tax is still happening. The wealth transfer is still happening um, by the creation of new money. That's that. This has been the weekly anchor with Blake only. None of this is tax legal trading. Uh, or investment advice, consult your professionals, don't listen to me. Learn about inflation, and um, we're out.